Let's talk about big news yesterday. Asymptomatic uh, Ontarians can now buy rapid COVID tests at Shoppers Drug Mart and Loblaws Pharmacy. They will be able to get the result within 15 to 20 minutes. How do these rapid antigen tests work? So the long and short of it is the rapid antigen tests are there for usage to look for who has uh, COVID and they're not not just COVID, but they're also contagious. So you guys know that uh, when you get a test for COVID, when you're having symptoms, you may have actually been contagious for a couple of days before that. And what these tests do, they find you at the time the the virus load in your nose is the highest. And um, so the, the thing is, there are times where the person could still have COVID but the test is negative, but what that uh, represents is somebody who has COVID and is not all that contagious. So these things could have been used uh, in a different way widely, especially in workplaces uh, where mm-hmm. it would have helped. Look, you, you found somebody who is maybe uh, who has COVID, but they're, they're contagious. You can kind of take them out of the workforce to help the rest of the um, people not get infected. They weren't really kind of um, brought out for that, uh, unfortunately. And now they're kind of out there in general retail. Not sure how useful they'll be, but uh, they definitely have a usage. Okay, so I understand that there's a, and you just said it, you can have like a a false negative. Apparently, the rate of a false negative is quite high when it's, you're talking about asymptomatic people because they might have the virus, but they might not be shedding the amount that this test would pick up. uh, So not quite as contagious as uh, they would be if the test was positive. Would that create a false sense of security, do you think? No, and I think that's where the, uh, the where the misconception lies. It's absolutely right. There are some people that have COVID that this test doesn't pick up, but these tests are very, very good at picking up people who are in that contagious period. But that, that comes with a caveat. You have to use this test regularly. So to give you an example, let's say if you're in a high-risk workplace, like a manufacturing sector, you would mm-hmm. uh, the best usage for that would be for somebody to take that on a daily or every other day basis uh, to kind of monitor them regularly. So the one thing that's important, though, is that if somebody just takes a test once in a week and it's negative, right, that's where the false uh, reassurance can come because you really need to do it regularly for it to be uh, have its maximum utility. Okay, well, at a $40 price tag, which uh, people say price is a barrier for low-wage workers, who's this rapid test for? <laughs> That's exactly where the, where the problem is. And, you know, the places you would expect this to be used are the very people who would uh, likely not be able to afford this. And that's where I think that there is a bit of a disconnect. But I do agree that, you know, just using these things, um, you know, uh, without any regard for what the test is showing, not using it properly, that certainly could be an issue. But I guess right now with widespread vaccination ongoing, community numbers dropping, I think it's going to be less of a problem. But we really want to use these in the proper scenario. Right. You know what I was thinking? I would imagine that when um, we come out of lockdown, that immediately I thought, okay, if I'm going to try and figure out who the client base is for this $40 uh, rapid antigen test at Chopper's Drug Mart and Loblaws, it's going to be people that want to go. They're they're still unsure. They've had their first dose of vaccine. They want to go to a backyard um, safely distanced dinner, they'll get a rapid test done, or they want to, they're trying to determine if they can go and socialize with family members, they get a rapid test done. Uh, yeah, definitely. And the thing is that, you know, once you're at a point where the, the cases are low, you have lots of people who are vaccinated. I think, I guess that's certainly a, an application and is relatively safe. I think right now, like meaning what's today, May the 18th, 2021, we still have a significant amount of COVID in the community. It is dropping. We still want to be using our general, our, our uh, you know, approved tests and interfacing with public health because that has a lot of um, overall um, ramifications for public health measures.
Uh, according to the Star, they say that the rapid testing is available for anyone who has no symptoms of COVID, has not been in contact with someone known to have the virus in the past 14 days, has not been advised to get tested through the exposure notification through a COVID alert app, has not previously tested positive. Can you make sense of the restrictions? Yeah. So what they're doing is they're protecting themselves because what they're trying to say is, look, this is the, these are the situations we, we do not want you to be using them, which we know that that's not going to actually happen when people use them. But the thing is, is that for somebody who's asymptomatic and rel- relatively low risk, it actually, you know, it, it actually does give you a, a, a fairly good uh, measure. But again, if you're somebody who's working in a high risk area, for example, uh, I'll give you another example, like long term care, right? They actually use rapid tests there, but in an organized way then you don't want to be using this rapid test uh, willy-nilly because you could get a false negative result, especially if you're not using it on a regular basis, and that could have a harm uh, down the road with the transmissions. All right, let's talk about the fact that we've got uh, a situation with AstraZeneca. We've got this four-month gap that the province is trying to, uh, they say actually might be reduced because they're concerned that some AstraZeneca doses may go to waste. Uh, the ones that are most at threat of going to waste immediately would be the ones that expire at the end of May. Although Dr. Williams said he hasn't reached that 12-week uh, interval where they're seeing uh, really positive results when it comes to ant- antibodies increasing if you increase the duration of the wait time between the first and second doses. He doesn't feel that there's enough people that would have that 12-week to warrant giving the AstraZeneca second shot to them. That said... Isn't it a better idea to move it up to maybe eight weeks even um, if we've got a situation where it means that someone is fully vaccinated? You know, it's a good point that you make, but uh, I will say... This whole narrative about uh, one dose versus two dose, I think it went in the wrong direction right from the very beginning. How so? We have to understand that when you get one dose of vaccine, especially, uh, say, AstraZeneca, that's not half vaccination. That's actually very full vaccination. You have a very, very high amount of protection two weeks after that from hospitalization. That's what we care about the most, is people getting sick enough to be hospitalized. The second dose, what it does, it fortifies the first dose and makes it long-term. So it's not something that's necessarily going to be affecting us now. It's for down the road. The other thing that we do know is that it's, it's, it's a very well-known thing with vaccinations is you don't want to give them too close together that you want mm-hmm. to spread them out. The closer together, if, if, it, the, if it's done too close together, it actually makes the vaccine less effective. So the thing is, we already have a whole bunch of people with excellent protection with one dose from AstraZeneca. It makes sense to get as many first doses as possible. And those vaccines right now, rather than giving it to somebody at the eight-week point, I would say uh, put it into the, the COVAX repository and get it to places around the world for vaccine equity that need it, such as uh, uh, India and other areas in South Asia. Yeah, because we want global um, immunity as quickly as possible to take care of those variants. Exactly, exactly. Let me ask you uh, one more question before I let you go, Dr. Chakrabarty. One of the things that I'm um, most interested in is is the fact that we have opened up the vaccine appointments to the eligibility. should have been 30 plus this week, but we decided to open it up to 18 plus. Do you are you also concerned like John Tory is that now we've got more competition on the online portal and we actually have, you know, 4.2 million doses coming in this week, I believe, of Pfizer. But the fact that we're going to end up seeing more appointments being canceled because in order to get all of the vaccine out to different places, 
uh, in time to meet the need and, you know, the uptake of like 18 plus now trying to book appointments that we might actually end up with more canceled appointments. That's a very good point. And, you know, these types of systems issues really, really need to be uh, analyzed closely. Uh, that's obviously not my area of expertise. I do share his concern. But that said, look, this is a problem that uh, uh, an amazing problem to have now, because if you think even two months ago, you know, if you went on Twitter or on the news, people were really upset about us not having enough vaccine, us not having supply. There was all sorts of criticisms at the vaccine rollout. Now the problem is we have almost a surplus of vaccines. So I think that, um, yes, that, that is probably going to happen, competition online, competition signing up. But in the end, we're going to be able to offer so much of a surplus of vaccine to so many people. This is our ticket out of here, and this is going to be able to get us back to normal life. So, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's going to be a little bit of bumps in the road there, but it's an ultimately amazing trade-off for what we get for the vaccine. Depending on the region that you're in, I hear that you can actually start booking your child that's 12 and up for the vaccine, for the Pfizer vaccine. Would you, where do you sit on, on getting your 12-year-old vaccinated? So when it's time for, if I had a 12-year-old, when it was time for the 12-year-old to get vaccinated, I would be very happy to do it. Right now, though, and this kind of alludes to what I said before, is that I don't think that we need to vaccinate 12 to 15-year-olds now, not because there's anything wrong with the vaccine, but one thing that we see in Israel, we've seen it in the UK, when the cases drop in adults, 18 and up, you see a reflexive drop in cases in adolescents and children because they generally are getting the, the infection from uh, 18 and older. The thing is that we have some time. Take that vaccine and, you know, let's help with vaccine equity around the world. South Asia, certain parts of Africa, East Asia, all these places are on fire right now with COVID. And, you know, we, we have a global population here and helping mm-hmm. them is going to help all of us. Dr. Chakrabarty, thanks so much for joining us. I always appreciate your time. You got it. Great to be here. Take care. Have a good day.